0: Welcome to the AFP Report. This is your host, John Friend. Today is Friday, April 14th, 2023. This is the 39th edition of the AFP Report, a podcast series where I will be interviewing reporters and contributors to American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, as well as other special guests. Please consider subscribing to American Free Press if you are not already. Subscription details can be found at AmericanFreePress.net. Today, I'm joined by Merlin Miller, a graduate of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point and author of Eagles Are Gathering, which details his professional journey and political philosophy. Merlin Miller, welcome to the program, sir. How are you this afternoon?
1: Doing great, John. It's good to be back with you.
0: Yeah, man, it's so good to reconnect with you. It's been a very long time since we've last last even spoken. We actually met back in 2015, in the fall of 2015, I think it was, in Washington, D.C. at a conference conference organized by American Free Press to commemorate the life and career of James Traficant the former populist democratic congressman from Ohio who passed away when did he pass away I think he passed away in 2015 or maybe
1: 2014 late late summer of 2014 2014 uh, we just, yeah. yeah we were just in the in the means of forming our political party and uh, we were actually talking to him and looking to run him as our presidential candidate and we still went ahead with the party after he died, but uh, it really was a, a tough blow for everybody.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, and James Traficant, of course, wrote for American Free Press for years uh, You know, after he was railroaded out of Congress. He's the former populist Democratic congressman from Ohio who was a major target of the pro-Israel lobby and even the U.S. government itself, which, frankly, is almost entirely subservient to the pro-Israel lobby. So um, yeah, that was when we first met, and I know you've been uh, you've been busy, you've had um, all sorts of things going on, I'm sure, since then. It's been, what, almost eight years, I think, since we last really kind of, well, at least since we met in person, we've sort of stayed in touch over the years, but it's good to catch up with you. Um, I did sort of write a little bio, but you know what, I'd actually like for you just to start off... By introducing yourself to our audience and telling us, you know, just what you've been up to, what what you're uh, what you're all about, I guess.
1: Sure, John. Uh, I was raised in Iowa, in the farm country, uh, uh, raised in the city of Des Moines. My dad had been a fireman, so pretty much a very uh, humble background. You know, we didn't have much growing up, uh, but we had those traditions of America, which I I still highly respect. And and uh, we thought this was such a great nation, and I hate to see it being destroyed. And, That's what's been happening through the last at least several decades. Uh, But my life was one where I was fortunate to get a nomination to the military academy at West Point. So I graduated from the academy and served several years in the Army and then uh, ultimately went into the motion picture industry, which was my life's ambition. uh, Walt Disney having been my idol growing up. Uh, Ultimately, uh, that course led me around to some politics as things started to really go asunder in our country. So uh, my whole journey has really been one of trying to connect intrigues, uh, political intrigues, military intrigues, and media intrigues together, and they tell a pretty compelling story about what has happened to America in terms of this New World Order trying to you know, define or defile our um, our sovereign nation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well,
0: you know, and, and that's actually something I wanted to, to kind of talk about right off the bat, this whole concept of a New World Order, because I know that's a a term that you use. You've written a couple books, by the way. Let me mention that quickly. Uh, the first book, I think it was, from what I what I read earlier, Our Vision for America, that was published originally in 2012, I believe. And then you later uh, published another book called Eagles Are Gathering in early 2016. It's just been re-released by, you know, it's been updated and re-released. Uh, it's available from American Free Press. I'll have a link to that page uh, when I post the program, if anybody's interested in buying the book. It's only 15 bucks, it's uh, 241 pages. Can you tell us briefly about these books? Because I, from what I understand, Our Vision for America, it, much of that material is actually incorporated into Eagles Are Gathering, correct?
1: Uh, yes, Our Vision for America was really a, a very small book. It was a platform position book. Uh, Dr. Adrian Krieg and I basically developed that together after I was recruited to run for a small independent political party on the basis of our nationalist positions. And uh, that was sort of my launch into politics. And then subsequently, uh, a few years later, I wrote Eagles Are Gathering, which really incorporated not only the platform positions, but much, much more in terms of of my journey and and some of the experiences I've had, which are pretty bizarre. I, I, I feel kind of like Forrest Gump and having stumbled in some pretty incredible situations and... And they tell a story, and and my story is one which I I wish people was aware of because it it shows just what's happening to the American dream and what's happening to the future of our country for our progeny. And uh, we have to do something about it. I think the general public is now starting to wake up to a lot of the issues that are in the book Eagles Are Gathering. Uh, At the time of its release, uh, I was somewhat of a pariah among some some of my friends, especially in the West Point community who thought, well, you're anti-war, you're not, against, you're not for this war on terror, and, and these kinds of things. But today, in, in the recent years or so, uh, they've come around, and I think they really regard it much differently now. Uh, so I'm hopeful that it's a right. book that if people are really interested in finding out what has happened to our country, how did it come about, who's the forces behind it, and where are they headed with all of this, it's laid out in the book Eagles Are Gathering.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and getting back to your, you know, your career, you joined the military, you grew up in, in Des Moines, Iowa, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. So you know, that's only like, I think a two and a no, like two hour drive, I think, right in the middle of the country. Uh, still a lot of good people in Nebraska and Iowa. And there's still a lot of good Americans all over the country. I mean, I lived in California for years that, you know, I've kind of bounced around all over the place. And there's still a lot of really good people in this country. For, for a very, very long time, for a couple of generations now, we have just been so deceived by the media and by this totally corrupt political class. And I, I think that that sort of spell is is losing its its effectiveness over the American public. And I think Trump had a lot to do with that. I think just the blatant nature of the corruption at the highest levels all across the country has had a lot to do with that. I think the total discrediting of the media – has had a lot to do with that as well and i wanted to ask you quickly um what was your experience like working in hollywood because you basically went from correct me if i'm wrong but didn't you go from the military straight basically into the movie industry and and um you know you went to university of southern california in los angeles
1: but pretty much pretty 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 much your career yeah As I got ready ready to leave the military service, I'd written the Disney company because Walt Disney had been my idol when I was growing up. And, of course, he had been long gone. But I got flat rejection from the company. They didn't see any value in a military guy wanting to join them in in the studio environment. Uh, So I went to work as an engineering manager for about three years while I pursued how do I get in the industry, which will give me some credibility. And I was finally accepted to the USC's Peter Stark Motion Picture Producing Program which was a two-year graduate program, and began that in 1983, and that began my career in the industry. Uh, And you you asked about what it was like in Hollywood. Uh, uh, The program I went to was a a very elite program. There was only 20 people in it, and I was just very fortunate to get in because the director of the program had been a former naval commander, and I think he gave me an opportunity that other industry pundits would have never given me. But uh, it was eye-opening to me because I saw just how controlled the industry was, uh, there were 20 of us that graduated my class. Uh, five were Jewish, and they're all producing major motion pictures or television shows today. And uh, uh, the other 15 have all disappeared from the industry, as far as I know. There may be one or two still in some low-level position somewhere. Uh, but it just wasn't to be for us. Those opportunities weren't, weren't there for us. Well, so, and the,
0: and that shows the nepotism in that industry. That's been, Hollywood has been largely controlled by Jews going back to – the very founding of the industry itself.
1: Well, and I, and I realized that, you know, regardless how hard you may work and what your qualifications are, it doesn't matter. Nepotism is going to reign. And I graduated at the top of my class and, and helped a lot of the Jewish students during the program. By the end of the program, there was a distancing that was taking place and it was like they were joining the country club and we weren't allowed. So um, mm. my, my choice after interning at Paramount was to spend my time working on really low-cost, independent guerrilla films to get that trench warfare experience where I could really know how to make films and learn at that level as well as the level that we were trained at USC, which was the studio level. So I I think that was great for me because I could bring the two extremes together and try to find a meeting ground which would basically say we can produce high-quality motion pictures for very low cost. But of course, the big stumbling block for doing that is you have to make money with them. And uh, the distribution barriers are how Hollywood controls the industry and keeps the independents from having any success in their careers, unless, of course, they tow the Hollywood line and fulfill the, that agenda, which to me has been very destructive for our country.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, the, the, the poisoning of the American mind <laughs> largely comes from Hollywood and mainstream you know mass media in general and and certainly the news media and again these are things that more and more people are starting to recognize not only because it's so blatant but we see just the destructive impact on a daily basis i mean now it's it's so far out of control that you know this whole transgender phenomenon and you know the homosexual agenda i mean everything is just really really ramped up and is sort of spiraled out of control and it's It's outrageous. I mean, I can't even imagine, like, I mean, when I was in, for example, when I was in high school, like the whole homosexual issue was really not mainstream, certainly, but look at it now. You know, it's almost like if you even have any sort of minor objection to it, if if you're critical of little kids being able to, you know, generally mutilate their bodies and take puberty blockers and all these other destructive hormones and medications, then you're somehow some, you know, backwards bigot that wants to oppress these people. And actually, they even say there, there's like a genocide against trans people, you know, because people don't, are, are, are even critical of the whole process. So anyways, my point is, is that the country has rapidly spiraled out of control just in the past 20 years or so. Um, it's been heading that way for a long time. Um, but part of your book, you, you know, you talk about this concept of the new world order. And this is something that you know, a concept that I, you know, I first, I think I really first heard it, uh, you know, sort of articulated and and invoked by Alex Jones. And then I discovered people like Michael Collins Piper from American Free Press and Victor Thorne from American Free Press. And they had a much more accurate and sort of an incisive explanation of just what the whole New World Order concept is. So I'm wondering, how would you like explain it? To an average person, because it is one of these sort of buzzwords that, get, that gets thrown around. It's almost like a, a mainstream term now, I mean, over the years that, you know, that has been invoked. And even at the highest levels, you know, we have clips of President George H.W. Bush talking about a new world order and many other political figures. So I'm curious, how, how would you like sort of break it down to an average
1: person? Well, it's really tough to wrap your mind around it because it's such a complex thing. And I think Michael Collins Piper was probably the one that steered me in the direction of of really awakening to what was going on. And of course, Victor was great too, and, and a lot of the people that write for the American Free Press just did an incredible job of opening my eyes at a time when uh, you know I was I was asleep. And I think more and more people are waking up now. But exactly what it is, in my opinion, and it goes back thousands of years. I mean, this is not something that just began overnight. It's it's a long game. Uh, but I think it's a, uh, an international banker, uh, Zionist scheme to basically control populations and uh, ultimately destroy nation states and destroy all individual rights and, and have a new world order where they rule, rule supreme and everybody is subservient to them and uh, they can do basically whatever they want. This elitist attitude is, is pretty obvious now. Uh, it was pretty well hidden through, through most of history. Uh, but there's been all kinds of events in history, which if you really study them, you can see their their hand at play. Uh, a lot of the events that you know have, have catalyzed into uh, wars and false flags, things like that, uh, generally you really study them, you'll find they're behind them. In our generation, at least my generation, uh, I think the assassination of John F. Kennedy was a key turning moment in our country where they realized that they did truly have control of America and can take it any way they wanted to go. And, of course, 9-11 then totally redefined our way of life here. And it it went from taking us from a a republic of strong-minded individuals to one of subservience to the state. And that's where we're at today. And uh, hopefully patrons can wake up, read our Constitution, and find out that this is not what our founding fathers fought for. They fought for freedoms. And America was unique, uh, you know, that pillar on top of the hill, you know, where everybody could look up to America and want to emulate us and say, this is freedom, this is what life should be about, treating people respectfully and and doing things that that are good. Uh, But somehow evil has crept into this in such a way that most people are influenced beyond their understanding, and I think it primarily happens through media and education. And my wife was a school teacher, taught elementary school, and she's retired now, but through her career, it was a very, very clear progression of destroying the family unit. And uh, she could see that from early on until the end of her career, how the family had been so marked and attacked in so many different ways. And, of course, not only do kids get this indoctrination in the schools uh, and the teachers are kind of confined to what they should be doing instead of being the teachers that they wanted to be. Uh, but in media, too, we get it through all the, the social media. We get it through anything on television and motion pictures. It's, it's designed to brainwash our young people and lead them down a progressive liberal trail which ultimately is is not sound. When you study this on a rational basis, you realize our our founding fathers were just brilliant people. They understood this. They understood what good governance was all about. And um, so my journey was all about trying to connect all these various dots in these various fields and how it relates to people today in America and how we need to wake up, find our own path, and work together in some sort of unity because we're always being pitted against each other. On the racial grounds, on the sexual grounds, on religious grounds, uh, you know, ethnic state grounds, uh, we're all pitted against each other to be fighting each other. This whole war on terror to me is a giant construct to pit the Christian and the Muslim communities against each other. And, uh, and of course, in the same process, limit our rights, uh, you know, through these various acts they've done. Them. But uh, in, in a nutshell, that's my take on what the new world order is. Uh, we have to stand yeah. up and fight and not support these global missions, and and uh, get back to our own sovereignty and, and respect for our family unit, and and find our own spiritual salvation as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, basically, 100% agree with you. I think the New World Order at its at its essence is about consolidating political and financial power at a global level, and frankly, they've done a very good job of doing just that. I mean, I really I think. The whole New World Order concept was really pretty much locked up in the aftermath of World War II. And um, so it is is fundamentally about undermining and ultimately destroying the sovereignty of nation-states. But I think on an even deeper and more insidious level, it is about stamping out any form of national or ethnic or racial consciousness, certainly amongst the European peoples and European-derived countries like America – I mean, you know, I think that is a major aspect of what's going on. And that is becoming very, very obvious to a lot of people. I don't know if you have any comment. Yeah.
1: Well, that's true. And in fact, uh, when I was a kid growing up in Iowa, uh, you know, we were 90, but the country was 90 percent white, European derived and Christian at that time. Today, we're about 65 percent and predicted to be a minority here within the next 20 years. Uh, It's pretty bizarre when you take a nation 90 percent and. And the makeup of a nation determines what that nation's character is. And when you radically alter that, you're radically altering the nation. And that's what's been going on with all the European countries and especially now in America. Uh, so it, it's it's pretty tough to, to see this happening. And uh, we just aren't aware of it. It's, it's almost like, you say, a white genocide that's been taking place. And I think, uh, I think for the most part, white people and the Christians in particular have, have formed a, a sort of a challenge through history to these forces that want to rule us, you know, through the Zionist forces and the the monetary forces that want to control us. We've been a challenge to them. So that's why we're in their sights for destruction.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could even look at and I actually just pulled it up once you mentioned that the whole concept of white genocide and that I mean, you, you look at what's going on in America, you look at what's going on in Canada, Australia, you know, certainly South Africa, and pretty much all the countries of, of Western Europe, and even many in the, you know, Eastern Europe, from what I understand, you know, you look at what's happened over the years, certainly what's going on today, and you look at the definition of genocide according to the UN, and I mean, it, it all fits there. I mean, there is a very active campaign to genocide the white race, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a violent state, you know, like a military campaign to to genocide white people, but it's, it's, you know, it's immigration, it's a lack of being able to organize politically and, you know, along racial uh, along racial lines or ethnic lines. So, I mean, it's it's pretty clear to me that, that that's a big part of this whole New World Order concept. And again, they've done a very good job of, of advancing this very evil and sinister agenda and made it very, very difficult to even talk about these subjects, you know, in polite society.
1: Right. We're such a transient society today. You know, we've lost our, our roots where we used to have family and You know, whether it was the clan, you know, or the tribe, whatever it was, we've we've totally lost that. And now everybody is transient. Everybody's uh, confused as to who they are. And I think that's what's behind a lot of these identity issues today with the kids. They're trying to seek an identity. They don't know who they are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I wanted to ask you another kind of like broader question. Like, how would you describe your political philosophy? Like, you know, yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm probably labeled as a paleoconservative. You know, I I I really am a strong believer in Ron Paul. I I like Pat Buchanan a lot. Uh, When I first wrote this book, Eagles Are Gathering, I was a real skeptic and I was really pretty down on our hopes for the future. And I even put a little bit bit in there about Trump, who was just beginning to uh, to you know spread his wings and he hadn't uh, he hadn't announced his platform yet. Uh, He hadn't detailed that and. And his relationships were concerning to me. So I was a, a skeptic as to who Trump was going to be. And this was, of course, before all the primaries and the caucuses were to begin in 2016. But he did prove himself in a lot of ways as the campaign got going and, and he started to detail things. So I did become a believer in Trump about uh, oh, probably midway through the campaign cycle in 2016. And and we as a party, we had formed the American Eagle Party. Primarily, traffic light was going to head the ticket. But we kept the party and we kept it alive through the end of 2016. And we actually endorsed Trump then before the election and closed the party at the end of the year, because Trump's platform pretty well evolved into exactly what our platform was, with the one exception that he gave a a favored nation's status to Israel, which I believe was very destructive for our own interests. But beyond that, I saw Trump as very, very good hope for our country. And I, I think he made some mistakes during his first term. He he trusted the wrong people. He tried to work with the deep state instead of uh, challenging them. He did ultimately challenge the media, and he put that label of fake media, which was great, you know, because that's exactly what they are. And it's the whole, only the whole,
0: yeah, the whole concept of like fake news, yeah, that was very, right. very, very, very effective and very eye-opening for a lot of people to see somebody at that level openly call out these total dishonest, lying scumbags for what they are.
1: Right. And and I think President Trump had a few people that stayed loyal to him through the end. And I think you'll see them as a part of his administration, assuming he's able to get elected. And and I certainly hope he is. He's he's our best hope for saving this country right now. Uh, But there are a few people that I got to know. uh, uh, And I think I, I think if Trump pulls the right team together, he can do this. I know of nobody else that has the capability right now, the power, the knowledge to be able to do this and actually restore our country to the great republic it once was.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we'll talk more about Trump here in, in, in just a few minutes. I mean, Tr- Trump had all the potential in the world. You know, I mean, his 2016 campaign was very impressive, it was very inspiring. He was saying a lot of very, very important things that were, you know, spot on, whether it was, you know, sending illegal immigrants back, one of the most common sense policies you could ever, you know, articulate. I mean, look, there's all these millions of people here illegally, they got to go back. This isn't, you know, us trying to be mean to people or something like that. I mean, these people are basically criminals, and they're taking advantage of our country, and they, you know, we're not going to put up with it any longer. And you saw how much that resonated with people. And to me, um, Trump's campaign, certainly the, the the 2016 campaign, was based around, you know, sort of like this America first ideology, this populist ideology. And populism is something that. Um, really has a long history with American Free Press and Willis Cardo, and I basically understand it as a political philosophy at its most basic you know, level that places the interests of the productive working and middle class first and foremost ahead of the interests of big corporations or special lobby groups. Or you know any other elite sector of society. It's all about what's best for our country, what's best for the average working class people that make everything go round, you know, in, in this country. That's what it's all about. And he, and he tapped into that brilliantly. And I think you know I I would describe myself as a populist as well. I don't know if you use that term or what you think about it, but I think at the end of the day that is really the a, a very genuine, um, authentic. American political tradition, the, the whole concept of populism we have a long track record of that in American politics.
1: It is probably the best word to define where i 'm at and and I believe you're right it's it's grassroots america's representation, the populist positions, and that's what we should be doing
0: yeah, yeah, well, and I mean it's all about you know recognizing that each member of society you know should be viewed as an important valuable contributor to the greater good to, you know, to making everything work, to making the country successful, whether it's economically or socially or culturally or whatever, you know, everyone has a role to play, whether you're, you know, a common day laborer, fixing roofs or a mechanic or a welder or a janitor or a teacher or whatever, an accountant, a manager, a salesman. I mean, whatever it is, an intellectual, you know, maybe you're a professor, maybe you write books, maybe you're you know, a movie producer, everybody has a role to play, right? And, and everybody, and, and that's going to vary depending on your abilities, your background, your education, your experience. And 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 that's a good thing. That's what we need to recognize and champion and understand and articulate. And we just have never had really any political figure stand up there and do that and, and explain these sorts of concepts to the American people. Trump came very, very close. And like I said, had a lot of very important things to say. But at the end of the day, um, he was majorly Stymied by forces within his own administration, certainly by the deep state and certainly by the Democratic Party. And we still see that going on to this very day. So but at the end of the day, that's really what populism is all about. And I think it has a lot of potential to really turn this country around if somebody were to get up there and articulate these ideas.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right, John. And looking at some of my experiences I had in the military and then even motion picture industry, The guy you might least expect to be a contributor would often come up with an idea or or do something that would just basically grab everybody and say, wow, that's what we need to be doing. And uh, so you shouldn't discount anybody based on where they're from, who they are. I mean, that's the American way is to give everybody a chance. And and that's building teams to me. And Mm -hmm. uh, if we can do that, then gosh, we've got a chance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and everybody, you know, I know it's very cliche, you know, you got to judge people based on their character, and not just simply on your prior assumptions or whatever. And and that's, that's something that's sort of been tossed out the window as well, you know, in, in the course of the past 20 or 30 years. Um, And, and that kind of leads me to another question, what, what role does virtue play in maintaining a, you know, democratic republic, which is what the founding fathers established. And if you go back and read, John Adams or Thomas Jefferson or some of these other guys, they talked a lot about virtue and how important virtue was in maintaining a, you know, a, a, a responsible, legitimate system. And I think that uh, virtue is, is not at, at all prevalent among our elites in Washington, D.C. at this point.
1: Yeah, it's probably our most needed quality. In fact, Benjamin Franklin had to quote, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom
0: yeah and
1: yep. that's why we're losing our freedoms because we've lost so many virtuous people, but there's it's still there. the potential for America rising up again is there there's there's such a groundswell of support for these concepts if we can just overcome all of these negative influences that have that have in, enveloped us
0: yeah yeah, and that's a good point because I mean you know like like you i mean i haven't I haven't had a you know a career in Hollywood or even in the military, but you know i've I've done a lot of things I've met a lot of people i've I've seen a lot of the country. And there are still so many really good people in America. And we, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think we could really turn this around if we had some decent, virtuous leaders that were willing to step up and do what's right and, and say what needs to be said and not back down and not apologize. And that is just sorely lacking in, in, in modern American politics.
1: Well, unfortunately, whether you're looking in media and motion picture projects, whether you're in the military and looking at the command structure – whether you're in politics and looking who heads the agencies. Unfortunately, the wrong forces have migrated to leadership positions in all these key, key places. And we need to find ways to get them out of there, get them out and get some good people in those positions. If we can do that, this will turn around overnight because the grassroots people, whether you're an FBI agent, whether you're a crewman or a cast member working in Hollywood, you know, whether you're somebody in the military that's out on the front line somewhere, they're great, good people. And uh, they need people to represent them who will truly take care of their interests, and we just don't have that today. We're we're led by the wrong people.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and again, going back to Trump, we can talk more about his his first his first term, and then you know maybe the 2020 election, and and you know what's currently going on politically in America. But um, you know, you look at you look at his campaign. I mean, again, he basically ran on all the key issues that resonated with millions of people across the country. I mean, I have a lot of uh, skepticism in our you know, election process. I think there's a lot of corruption, a lot of um, vote rigging, to say the least. And, and, that, and that happens in a variety of ways. But um, I, I think he probably won By an even greater margin in 2016 than than, than was actually reported. And I certainly think he won by a a massive margin in 2020. And I think the election was absolutely stolen from him. Um, But, you know, reflecting on his first term, to me, it was nothing but just a major disappointment. I mean... And and you can, you can, yeah, I was going to say you can respond to that, but I was just say briefly, I mean, he ran, he had this great platform saying all the right things, but then just could not get anything accomplished. And I think there's a lot of factors that play into that. It wasn't all his fault necessarily, but he just had bad advisors and a lot of them were appointed by him, you know, by, by himself, you know, which was really baffling to me. So yeah, anyways, my, my point is, is that he did have a lot of potential. He probably still does have a lot of potential, but I've lost a lot of A lot of faith and confidence in him at this point.
1: No, I I understand that totally, John. And and I'm with you at the same time, you know, when he was uh, doing several of these things, I just couldn't understand it. And looking back, I've read some some books by some of the people that that stayed with him. And in reading between the lines, I think that was his greatest shock, greatest learning experience in his first term was he trusted the wrong people. He wanted to work with the deep state and try to correct them rather than going up against them, realizing that they're his, his enemy and they're going to destroy him. And from the beginning, when he you know t- basically said he was going to run for office all the way through the campaign, all the way through his first term and continuing now to keep him from running again, uh, it's been the same people. And uh, uh, these are not good people. These are evil people. And I think he's come to that realization. I don't think he's going to trust a lot of the same people, uh, especially those who have the, the Zionist bent. I think he's going to stay very clear of them. I, I'm hopeful of that. Uh, but he trusted the wrong people, and I'm I'm hopeful that he learned the lesson. Uh, if you get somebody new in there, whether they can succeed in that environment, I don't know. You know, uh, he didn't succeed in his first term, but I think he learned some tough lessons that may allow him to succeed in the second term. I don't know that anybody else is capable of going against this monster and surviving, let alone succeeding.
0: Right. Yeah, I I I tend to agree with you. I do think. Um, I don't know if you've been following. Um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. But apparently he announced that he's gonna, you know, attempt a, you know, a run in the the 20, 2024 presidential uh, election. And he's been saying a lot of really good things, frankly, and has for a long time. I don't think he's got the star power or the charisma or the just just persona that Trump does. So I think he's gonna be up. You know he's got he's got a major uh major challenge in front of him, but again here's a guy coming from the more of a left wing perspective a dem you know I think he's basically been a lifelong Democrat, um and and he's saying a lot of important things about COVID about vaccines about American foreign policy about wealth inequality and the central banking system, you know and and could you imagine if a guy like him and Trump were to team up and and you know maybe. Rally their troops together. You know, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of potential there, but I like the direction things are going because once people got a taste of Trump, who was saying things that you know most major political candidates would never even come close to saying. I mean, you had people like Pat Buchanan, for example, or Ron Paul, or um, even a guy like Ralph Nader. You know, some of these more independent, libertarian or you know, more, more I guess, more right wing Republican, I don't even know if that's an accurate you know, way to explain it. But, you know, the people that were more independent and, and less connected to the establishment, Democrat or Republican, you know, systems, um, you know, what they say really resonates with people. And we saw that in a big way with Trump. We've seen it with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. So I think we're certainly heading in the right direction politically. Now there's, you know, all, all sorts of more independent political parties arising. I know American, what is it, American Freedom Party? I, were you involved with American Freedom Party, by the way, at one point?
1: Well, they were actually the party that recruited me to run in 2012. Okay, uh, went, that's right. They, they went by a different name then. They changed their name. You know, Subsequently, we made the recommendations and they changed their name. Uh, but we actually ended up forming our own party, the American Eagle Party. Okay. I mean, based on certain differences we had in, in platform and, and perspectives, but uh, I know they were there for that. And I, I totally agree with what you're saying about uh, you know Robert F Kennedy Jr. I've got great respect for the man. Uh, he's courageous. He's he's taken on the pharmaceutical industry. He's he stood on good ground. He believes in true science for this, and and he's taken a lot on the chin for that. But for him to run in the Democratic race, I think is incredible. Uh, I think he's going to open up a lot of eyes within the Democratic community, uh, party community, simply on the basis of what he's going to present if he gets into these debates and starts running and detailing his platform out. Uh, I don't know that I would totally uh, support his his platform. I know he is much more liberal-minded in some ways than I am, but I do have great respect for him. He's courageous, and he stands for a lot of the right things.
0: Yes, he certainly does. I'm actually trying to find the tweet that I was just uh, – he, he basically nailed it, like to, you know, describing American foreign policy and how destructive it's been. I'll see if I can find it here in just a minute. Um, but anyways, I think, yeah, this sort of like populist, uh, you know, backlash to this totally controlled, totally corrupt two party system is, is a very welcoming development. It's something that, I mean, I remember even before I really woke up to like nine 11, for example, or the whole new world order concept. I mean I saw through this you know corrupt establishment from day 1 basically once I really started thinking about it and back in like 2006 2007 2008 I was you know re- what what Ralph Nader was saying was really resonating with me and then I discovered Ron Paul and you know some of these other Um, you know, more independent-minded candidates. And I think that's the direction that the American populace is heading. And I think that's a very good thing. It opens up a lot of potential, a lot of uh, opportunities to really challenge this totally corrupt system. And I want to ask you about the 2020 election. I already gave you sort of my take on it. I mean, I think it was, I think it's absurd for the media and political establishment to expect everybody to believe that Joe Biden got, what was it, 81 or 82 million votes and like crushed Donald Trump. I mean, this is just, frankly, insulting to me. I mean, what, what do you think about the 2020 election?
1: Oh, well, I think it was a very corrupt election. Uh, my prediction going into it was that Trump was going to win overwhelming. And uh, it didn't happen, but I believe it truly did. It's just that the election was rigged in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, when you have all these mail-in ballots, when you have so many illegals in our country and, uh, you know, who counts the votes is what is important. Stalin made that comment. It's it's not who casts the vote, it's who counts the votes that's important, And unfortunately, they didn't have enough safeguards within the states to ensure that this was a fairly conducted election. And hopefully the states and the Republican Party in particular are taking measures now to ensure that doesn't happen in 2024. But I do believe it happened to a certain extent in 2022, which is why the Senate is still controlled by the Democrats and and the Republicans have just a slight majority in the House. But no, it's a very corrupt election, in my opinion, and um, it's got to be fixed before 2024.
0: Yeah, and I'm not seeing too many indications that it has been fixed. You know, it's actually kind of amazing. I mean, I've basically come to think of the 2020 election as a color revolution, only this time it was directed at America rather than America's overseas adversaries. You know, we've seen all these sorts of color revolutions taking place around the country, you know, around the world, I should say, whether it's in Ukraine with the the Maidan revolution or – you know, the numerous other countries where the CIA, the deep state, these like NGOs, a lot of them funded by George Soros, for example, go in there and instigate political factions and, you know, stir up conflict and manipulate elections and ultimately overthrow a government that the US, that the neocons running the State Department and, and you know, the deep state in Washington are, are opposed to. And I think that's exactly what happened in 2020, only this time. In America, rather than an overseas adversary. And do you remember, I don't know if you came across it or if, you, if you're if you familiar with it, there was an article written by a lady named Molly Ball, who um, is a journalist and, you know, is it, written for Time Magazine for a long time, I believe. And she wrote an article called The Secret Bipartisan Campaign that Saved the 2020 Election. And it's really like this, you know, incredible gaslighting <laughs> way of, of, of explaining the, you know, a, a, understanding the situation it wasn't saving the 2020 election it was rigging it to make sure that trump would not be reelected. and she just explains it in great detail in this article did you come across that by chance it was written in like early february of 2021 shortly after the election
1: yeah i'm familiar with it I, i agree with you totally and and your observation about this being a color revolution in america is very good very astute of course done in a different sort of way but targeting our our people in such a way as we target uh other nations through these color revolutions. So a uh, good point.
0: Well, well, think about it. I mean, we had the, the, the COVID-19 alleged pandemic, which in, in my view, and you can, I don't know if you'd necessarily agree with me, but I would like to get your perspective on it. I mean, I think the whole COVID-19 alleged pandemic was totally manufactured. I don't even, I'm not even convinced that there is such a thing as COVID-19. I, I think, a lot of this stuff is just totally media manufactured and just narratives disseminated by these "quote unquote" public health experts, many of whom are directly funded by the pharmaceutical industry and these big vaccine manufacturers and people like, uh, you know, Bill Gates and the World Economic Forum. I mean, I think these people are are basically behind this and they just created this narrative. And this was a huge part in the in the 2020 color revolution. And then of course the Black Lives Matter, Antifa. Terrorists that just ran amok and and were terrorizing cities all across the country, and you know that 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 was a a secondary aspect of it. But I think this one-two punch of the you know the COVID-19 pandemic rollout and then the Black Lives Matter revolution, the terrorists that basically took over every major city across the country, these really sort of sealed the deal and allowed the election to be totally stolen from Trump. And again. In many ways, Trump went along with this nonsense. He certainly went along with the COVID-19 pandemic and is still out there, you know, touting Operation Warp Speed and getting these vaccines out there and giving all this money to all these, you know, big pharmaceutical companies to manufacture this very dangerous, untested, unproven poison, frankly. I mean, I'm I'm very skeptical of any vaccine. I don't think there are – I don't think there is such a thing as a safe and effective vaccine.
1: Yeah, no, we actually – we, we agree totally with you. We, we chose not to be vaccinated because I certainly didn't believe any of the science behind this and I certainly didn't believe any of the reporting about it. Why Trump supported that, I didn't know. I thought he was bamboozled. Maybe he's still bamboozled. I, I hope that's the extent of it. I hope he'll open his eyes and realize that this wasn't a real pandemic, that this was basically a medical false flag operation that benefited the Fauci's of the world, the Bill Gates of the world. And as you say, the World Economic Forum Individuals and certainly benefited the pharmaceutical companies when you look at how much money they've made with absolutely no liability. I mean, why is Congress protecting these people the way they are? I mean, it's ludicrous to me.
0: Oh, yeah, it is absolutely outrageous. And again, I think there's a lot of people that have sort of woken up or at least – have started to have doubts about the legitimacy of the media, certainly doubts about the legitimacy of these, you know, public health experts and, you know, just the political establishment in general. I mean, how could you not, how could you just go along with this when it's so obvious we're being lied to and there's a major agenda behind all this and just the idea, like, you know, you have to wear a face mask and you don't have to, I mean, that's just what they said. Um, And then the whole lockdown situation, I mean, it was just one scam after another and it had a devastating impact on millions of people's lives across the country including you know numerous small businesses and restaurants and shops and stuff that you know totally were ruined by this alleged pandemic and all of it i think i think at the at the end of the day i think the whole vaccine push was obviously you know a very real aspect of this but i think the whole covid-19 situation was largely designed to facilitate the the theft of the 2020 election and to allow all these mail-in ballots and all this other nonsense
1: well you're right i think it isolated us people felt they were alone and that of course enabled these absentee ballots to be mailed in People didn't feel like they could unite. If they thought they had doubts about something, they really couldn't share it with anybody because the prevailing attitude, of course, the media was throwing this at us from all sides, was you have to accept this. And uh, in fact, my 50th high school reunion took place during COVID. they, They delayed it one year, so we really had it in the 51st year. But we chose not to go simply because the reunion committee was so brainwashed that everybody had to have vaccines to attend the reunion. We
0: said, no, thanks. Oh, no. Yeah.
1: That's that's, unbelievable.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, and think about it. I mean, you're supposed to have, you know, religious rights in America and just the right to, you know, bodily autonomy. I mean, you look at all these feminists and they're going on about how abortion is a right. You don't have a right to decide what's injected into your body. I mean, look at the hypocrisy on display with this whole COVID-19 scandemic. Um, anyways, it's just it's just ridiculous. And I don't think this is over. I think that this is going to continue to be something that's going to pop up. Um, you know, once again, I, I could see something like this happening again. If, you know, if Trump were to get back into office or were to, you know, start gaining a lot more traction and momentum like he did in 2016. You know, who knows? We'll see. Um, Or, or maybe not even necessarily Trump, maybe like another political movement or another leader will emerge or maybe even a guy like Robert F. Kennedy. You know, I guess we'll see. Speaking of, I did find the tweet that I was uh, I was talking about from Robert F. Kennedy, and this ties directly into a big topic we've been covering at American Free Press recently, and that is, of course, the decline of the American Empire and this unipolar world order, the new world order essentially, that was established following World War II where the neocons and the Zionists running the American government and the American media basically called the shots on the world stage. They dictated to other countries using threats, using intimidation tactics, using outright invasions like we saw with Iraq or Afghanistan or Syria or color revolutions, which we've discussed previously. So we're sort of seeing this decline in American you know, hegemony on the world stage and this emerging alliance between Russia and China. And I frankly view this as a very, very welcome development. And I think the decline of America on the world stage is a direct result of the totally counterproductive, neocon-driven foreign policy on the one hand, and the decline of our moral values and our you know, national or ethnic identity, you know, on the, on the home front, you know, domestically.
1: That's right. And uh, the term American exceptionalism to me was just a terrible thing. Uh, I had a lot of my West Point classmates that believed in that, that we have to go around spreading democracy, doing these sort of things. And it runs counter to, to all of our constitutional beliefs, our, what our founding fathers stood for. But there are some interesting developments along that line, too, as you say, you know, with other foreign nations, foreign media. Uh, we need in America a strong new mainstream media voice. I mean, we have a little bit of that with people like Tucker Carlson. Of course, there's alternative media. We have the American Free Press, the Epic Times. You've got a few of those, but we need somebody to really dominate and come to the forefront and lead this charge in getting truths to people. And just like in the COVID business, we, we have a lot of reputable doctors, a lot of reputable scientists that know the truth and have done their studies, done their research, and we need to hear their voices in the mainstream. And once that happens, this thing's going to turn around quickly. And it, when we talk about American exceptionalism, uh, back before I wrote my book, I was, I was making trips to Iran. And we also made a trip to Russia. So I've got some unique insights on, on those countries. But when I was doing that and when I came back to America, the only voice, there was only one voice. It was an American military analyst that showed any interest whatsoever in what I had to say. And that was a guy named Colonel Douglas McGregor. Right oh, his-
0: wow. Yeah, I follow his work. Yeah, he's very good.
1: Yeah, I, I think he's a, a straight shooter that'll stand up, tell it the way it is, and uh, incredibly well-qualified, a brilliant guy. He's also an academy grad, but he's got an incredible background and in, in a lot of successes in the military. But as a stand-up guy, he wouldn't make general officer. But I'm hopeful that if somebody like Trump does get back in, uh, that they'll put him as uh, Secretary of, uh, of Defense and get, get some people like this who will tell it the way it is in our true American patriots. Yeah, absolutely. It was just shocking to me that when I made these trips and had my meetings with Ahmadinejad and wrote about it and basically was saying, they don't want war. This guy's being vilified for the wrong reasons, simply because Iran stands in the path of Israeli hegemony in the Middle East. Exactly. uh, Nobody wanted to hear that. Uh, And no mainstream coverage whatsoever about the book, about the trips. Uh, same thing with regards to Russia, and we need voices to to come to the surface that will say the truth.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I've never been to Russia, I've never been to China, um, I've never been to Iran, but just looking at the way and, and this the whole um lead up to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, or really the special military operation as they would describe it, has really been very eye opening to me. I mean, I'm, I'm I can't say I'm totally 100% 100%, um, on board with Putin and the Russian government. I mean, I'm just – you know, again, I've never been there. I don't know all the details. But looking at just what they're saying, how they're behaving, the way they engage diplomatically with other countries, I mean these guys are at least – at the very least responsible, respectful, serious, intelligent players on the world stage. And you look at what they're talking about. You're looking about – you're looking at – what their alliance is based around. It's based around mutual respect and respect for the sovereignty of other countries of respect for the cultural and ethnic identities of other countries and maintaining those rather than trying to scramble them all up and, you know, encourage mass immigration all over the world and these sorts of things. It's about respect. It's about win, win economic, um, you know, cooperation and facilitating productive, Trade agreements and things like this. So it's a very different approach to interacting with the world than we see in America. You know, the, the totally corrupt bullies and just degenerate losers that, that you know, are our diplomats. It's really d- incredible and, and very, very frustrating. And it doesn't have to be like this. That's the thing that is is so frustrating to me is that we do not have to be in, like operating like this on the world stage or or even here domestically. And yet we still have all of these total scumbags out there just thinking that they can go around and dictating to the whole world how to behave and, and who they can talk to, what they can talk about, you know, these sorts of things. It's just outrageous.
1: Yeah. Where's our statesmanship? Where's true diplomacy? And when I was making these trips, I, my comment in one of my meetings with Ahmadinejad was, our State Department should be having these meetings with you and not depending on the initiatives of private citizens, private individuals to try to promote an effort for peace. Uh, and, and I'm sure these, Ahmadinejad from 2005 to 2013 was the most demonized man in Western media through all that time. And I found him just a, a patriot for his own country. I think he was a good person. Uh, we had differences. I'm sure uh, I wouldn't agree with everything that, uh, that he would advocate. Uh, but he was somebody we should have been talking to. And same with Putin. You know, I, I know a little bit about Putin, not, not personal, but through people that I know that know him personally. And uh, he can probably be very ruthless, but I think he's a good person for his country that's standing for what he thinks is right. And mm-hmm. I think if we would only talk to him, we could find some solutions. And we certainly should be trying to negotiate you know, a settlement to this Ukrainian, Ukrainian crisis instead of actually creating the crisis.
0: Well, that's that's definitely not going to happen with the current leadership in Washington D.C. That's for sure. I mean, these people are on the brink of, you know, launching World War III against Russia to prevent the collapse of of U.S. you know the 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 U.S.-led world order. And um, going back, I, I got the tweet pulled up pulled up here from Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And this tweet alone makes me want to support his political candidacy. I don't see Trump making these sorts of critiques. Trump uh, has a little bit different perspective that I think is is basically playing right into the neocons' hands and and this idea that America really does need to be calling the shots on the world stage like we have in the past. I don't think that's a very just world order. I don't think it benefits the American people. I don't think it benefits world peace or stability or anything like that. I think we need to take a step back and base our foreign policy and diplomacy on mutual respect and trust and fostering positive, productive, win-win cooperative agreements, right? Like the Russians and the Chinese and the Iranians do, <laughs> or at least in rhetoric at the very least. I mean, at least they're saying these things. You know, we're not even saying anything close to this. This is what Robert F. Kennedy Jr. tweeted on April 3rd, 2023, and it's been viewed 5.1 million times on Twitter. Who kn- And who knows, that, it, that may even be being suppressed, you know, given, you know, all the censorship that goes on on these big social media platforms. But this is what Robert F. Kennedy Jr. said. He said, the collapse of U.S. influence over Saudi Arabia and the kingdom's new alliances with China and Iran are painful emblems of the abject failure of the neocon strategy of maintaining U.S. global hegemony with aggressive projections of military power. China has displaced the American empire by deftly projecting Instead, economic power. Over the past decade, our country has spent trillions bombing roads, ports, bridges, and airports. China spent the equivalent building the same across the developing world. The Ukraine war is the final collapse of the neocons' short-lived quote-unquote American century. The neocon projects in Iraq and Ukraine have cost $8.1 trillion, hollowed out our middle class, made a laughingstock of U.S. military power and moral authority, pushed China and Russia into an invincible alliance, destroyed the dollar as the global currency, cost millions of lives, and have done nothing to advance democracy or win friendships or influence. And I don't know if there's a better way of putting it, frankly. I mean, he absolutely nailed it right there.
1: Yeah, it was a brilliant tweet. I got great respect for him for that.
0: Yeah, and I think this is going to be really a big issue heading into the 2024 election. Is just what sort of foreign policy or, or world order are we building here? What it, what what are we about as Americans? Are we really? I don't. I don't think, frankly, we've ever really been about maintaining this global world order. At least the American people. We certainly don't benefit from that sort of um, you know unjust illegitimate and tyrannical, violent, you know, imposition on the world, only the people that are benefiting from it, like the neocons, like the Israelis, like these big, you know, military industrial complex companies, like the big banks, these are the people that are benefiting from it, not the American people. And I think somebody that can stand up and say these things like Robert F. Kennedy so eloquently did, is going to gain a lot of traction. And it's really going to resonate with a lot of people, I think. And and again, you know, you see people, like Robert F Kennedy Jr on the you know sort of more on the left saying these things you see people like Tucker Carlson saying similar things on the right and then of course everybody out here you know us in the alternative independent media have been making these points for decades now
1: Yeah American exceptionalism is at a dead end it's not going anywhere now I don't believe and the Monroe doctrine is what we should be following it's what our founding fathers stood for we weren't isolationists but we were certainly much more in terms of minding our own business and not seeking these monsters to destroy. So, no, Robert F. Kennedy hit it on the head there. I'm, I'm impressed because uh, I thought his strength would be in domestic issues rather than foreign issues, but uh, that's a very good uh, tweet that he had. Uh, I, I still have my doubts in terms of his potential success in there. I, th- I think he would be fighting fires in all directions, but uh, I do have great respect for him. I'd like to see him be a part of what happens in the future.
0: Absolutely. Well, he's going to get trashed by the mainstream mass media. He already has been for a long time, especially with his criticisms of the COVID pandemic and the you know the rush for all these vaccines. So he's been sort of a thorn in their side for a long time. And I haven't really even followed his career all that closely. Um, but I know his book that he published about uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci was absolutely devastating. And it certainly did not win him too many friends in Washington, D.C., that's for sure. So he's going to be, yeah, he's going to be fighting an uphill battle, battle, no doubt. But it seems like, you know, I mean, honestly, from what I have seen of him, he does seem like he has his heart in the right place. Uh, He seems like a very honest person, certainly much more honest and, and, you know, filled with virtue than, you know, most other political figures I see out there today. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. But I do think that. Things continue to kind of at least the rhetoric, the the mindset of the average American, you know, and you see this reflected in polls where, you know, majorities of Americans look at the U.S. Justice Department and the FBI, and they see it as totally politicized and used as a weapon against the regime's political opponents. And, and, you know, we've seen that on display all throughout the Biden administration. We see the double standards in justice where BLM and Antifa terrorists can go riot and, you know, tear down cities and attack people and not even get charged. Meanwhile, you know, people that walk into the Capitol to protest the election are, you know, behind bars for two years before they even see a judge, you know, and they didn't even do anything violent. So, I mean, th- these things are really coming to the fore. It's becoming very, very difficult to ignore or downplay or dismiss these things. And, and more and more people are seeing through it. So we definitely I mean, we always have our work cut out for us. Um but I think it's we're living in interesting times, and it's just really sort of incredible to be pl- playing, you know, even a minor role in in sort of what's t- what's taking place, and just participating in the conversation and trying to push things in a more positive, rational, sane, you know, America First direction. And I think that's that's really what what your book is all about, what you're all about, and that's certainly what American Free Press is all about.
1: Well, you know, I have a good attorney friend who actually heads up a foundation that. That I, I'm helping with uh, very little, but uh, they're actually trying to represent uh, the January 6th defendants and also some from Charlottesville, and it's called the Free Expression Foundation. So they're doing oh, good yeah. work.
0: Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, and, I know. I know Glenn Allen well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, good. He, yeah. He's a good guy. Uh, so I like to see these kind of organizations, and hopefully they'll find greater support and success in defending uh, the people that need defending. And uh, as you say, you know, these these others who aren't even being. Uh, Prosecuted, you know, there's a total duplicity in the system. Uh, Another point, though, that you reminded me of, I wanted to bring up, uh, John, concerns not only what we just experienced through these elections, but getting to 2024. I do worry that hopefully we can avoid World War III and the escalation and and the the revelations of these lies now coming from, you know, the State Department, from the Defense Department, from the White House. Uh, hopefully, we'll wake up people and we'll be very discerning about any efforts to expand these wars. And America is certainly in no position to be starting another war. Uh, but hopefully, we can keep the peace. But I, I still do worry about the economy and an economic collapse, perhaps uh, being the instigation for some effort to delay or not even have the next elections. So we've got to be very careful that, uh, you know, things don't evolve in such a way that, uh, this deep state doesn't take us to a new level before enough people wake up to it.
0: Right. Well, I certainly wouldn't put anything past these criminals that are running our <laughs> running our country and our media. Um, I tr- I try not. To, I mean, it's it's so we could speculate all day about it, a million different scenarios. Who knows exactly what's going to happen? I have faith in God and and, you know, I can only control so much. So I try not to r- really get bogged down or, or, or you know, sort of even speculated about that sort of thing, but I, I look, I understand the point you're making, and I think it's very valid. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But and, and again, I again, I would never put anything past these people, given the outrageous crimes they've committed in the past, whether it's 9/11 or or any other, you know, the JFK assassination you mentioned that earlier, or any number of other um, very insidious events. So um, Merlin, I'll tell you what, um, I'm going to have to wrap up here. Um, I will have a link over to your book. You can purchase it directly from American Free Press for $15. And you also mentioned it is it is on Amazon as well, right?
1: It is, yes.
0: Okay, so you can get it either place. Of course, I would encourage people to, if you're going to go out and pick up a copy of it, buy it from American Free Press and support our efforts at the newspaper. So Merlin, I'll tell you what, this is a great conversation. Thanks a lot for taking the time. It's really good to sort of sure. re- reconnect and catch up with you. Yeah.
1: John, if I can, one final note Uh, I I didn't mention, uh, but I'm also involved with a lot of classmates in the military from, from West Point, and we're looking to form a Veterans League of Honor. And primarily, this would be to represent the military from a perspective that we should be representing our military. And we're looking to actually produce motion pictures that would benefit veteran causes, give opportunities for veterans to participate in the development and production process of motion pictures. So. We're at the infancy of this, but I think you'll be hearing a little bit more about us later in this year as we try to get this thing moving forward.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That sounds very promising and something that's probably long overdue as well. So, yeah, we'll we'll, you know, I'll tell you what, we'll stay in touch and maybe we can do another podcast or, you know, maybe we'll write an article about it, you know, in in, in future issues of the newspaper. So for now, I want to thank you very much. Hope you have a great weekend. And yeah, we'll stay in touch and, and do this again in
1: the future. Well, thank you, John. Take care now.
0: Okay, have a great weekend.